the Free for All Roundtable. Brought to you by Lexus Avon, Canada's newest Lexus dealer, near Canada's Wonderland in the Maple Auto Mall. Luxury is closer than you think. Round one. On round one today, Vas Bednar is here, Executive Director of the Master of Public Policy degree in Digital Society at McMaster University. Toronto lawyer Courtney Betty from Betty's Law and Jerry Agar from The Jerry Agar Show right here on News Talk 1010. Let's mix it up a little. She'll be here in 15 minutes. Olivia Chow observes 100 days as mayor of Toronto today. And Jerry, it's kind of an arbitrary date, but it's always there's been a certain philosophy that you set the tone in the first 100 days. What tone has she set? I don't know. Well, I find her to be wily. Wily? I mean, uh, right off the bat, she went after the other levels of government to bring money into Toronto, and there are areas where she is well justified in doing so, like that problem we had with refugees sitting on the street. Um, the federal government has not ponied up the cost, and they're responsible, I think, for 100% of the cost, so she did a good job of that. Other than that, I don't know what she's accomplished. And this 100-day thing, I don't know if that's enough time to actually show that you've accomplished something. No, but people always ask you before you get elected, what are you going to do in your first hundred days. So I guess it shows priorities. Well, you could start the process. Yeah. Well, there's still encampments. Remember during our debate, we asked, will the encampments be gone by Labor Day? Uh, let's see. Let's turn to Vas Bednar. Your thoughts. Any questions for the mayor? I mean, I don't I don't have questions for her quite yet. You know, the, the budget elements are still ahead of her. She's inherited kind of a, a very interesting snafu, but I think some of the stuff she did in that first 100 days, like restoring a certain standard of service on the TTC and running the uh, pilot of drinking in parks were well received by me and my peers. Okay. Courtney Betty, any thoughts? Well, I, I think I got to go back to what Jerry said here. You know, we had the situation with the refugees, and I just saw it on the news last night. We're still having the same problem. And this is only going to grow. And I want everyone to understand this is going to grow. It is going to get worse. So that's something that the mayor has to really get a handle on. I think the best thing I can say is that she's been very quiet for the first 100 days, which means that, you know, there's not a lot of trouble or different things controversial that she's involved in. And hopefully, um, you know, putting those policies in place for us to move forward stronger as a city. Hate crimes on the rise in Toronto. The chief of police had a press conference yesterday. The deputy chief was on our show a little while ago. Uh, The overwhelming majority of these uh, hate crimes, which can take any form from a slur to a physical attack or uh, damage to property, uh, the overwhelming targets are Jews in our city. Uh, Courtney Betty, I'll start with you. Well, John, you know, the issue of hate crimes is, is just being always there. I think the part of the problem that we have right now is, you know, you mentioned even, you know, utilizing the Internet, doing a post, all these other elements. I think when you look at the city of Toronto, we, we, we're doing pretty good during this period of time, to be honest, where there's so many challenges happening on this particular issue. You know, I mean, I, I live in the area of Bathurst and Lawrence. I understand the concerns of the community. And I think overall, there has been some increase, but it's not an increase that I'm concerned about. There's not been any kind of physical attacks. There's not been all of these other elements that we, should, you know, would really make us um, very concerned. Vaz Bednar, it was noted in the report that there's been an uptick since uh, the 7th of October when Hamas invaded Israel. But expressing that in the form of a percentage, I think, is ridiculous because it's been a matter of days. 
I think the percentage is tough. I mean, look, these are reported hate crimes, right, that can be tallied. So data is important, but I think this is probably a tip of an iceberg. And I see Courtney's point that, you know, okay, we're doing we're doing okay relative to other elements or, or the severity here. I also think the separation between what happens online and offline is very important for how people are experiencing the world, how they experience safety. Uh, but I definitely think it's something we have to keep paying attention to and at least making sure that we can do more reporting because if it's going to take reporting for us to appreciate the severity of what's happening here. Should we take down the phone numbers of some of the people who write to us, John? I mean, there's some pure hate on the text board every day. Yeah, yeah. but I don't know what's that, what that is motivated by. I think those people are just really, really embittered and angry. And as you have noticed, I'm sure, because uh, I don't think they know that it shows us every single text they've ever sent. Yeah. I had a guy this morning text me every minute for a half an hour to say, I hate you. <laughs> I like the people. Oh, that's not nice. I like the people. Can't you listening? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I'll never listen to you again. And then, like twenty minutes later, he's mad about something else. Yeah. Okay, so let's keep moving here. Um, MPP Sarah Jama accusing Doug Ford of libel. Effectively, she served notice yesterday. He's got seven days to apologize for what he said about her. And it was a little bit over the top. And I guess, actually, Courtney, I'll start with you again because um, you're the lawyer here. I have to think he said this outside of the, of the house. Otherwise, it would not be actionable. But he accused Sarah Jama of having a, quote, long and well-documented history of anti-Semitism and publicly supporting the rape and murder of innocent Jews. Jewish people. Yeah, John, that, that was really way over the top, right? And I think on this issue, it's also critical for us here in Toronto. We have an amazing city. We've got a very multicultural city. There has to be some room where you can express your views. You're not going to be attacking. You're not going to be, you know, hatred and all of those. But by expressing those views, it allows people to come together. I don't think that we should take this position of silence on both sides. Let people express their views and try and create dialogue. I think what the premier did, I, I'm hoping that he'll apologize. Just one of those moments that he's had a few that uh, that's a little bit over the top. I couldn't disagree more with Courtney. In fact, I'm going to open the show today documenting the history of Sarah Jemma and the hate that comes from that woman. I think that uh, Doug Ford was exactly right. Is there evidence of her publicly supporting the rape and murder of innocent Jewish people? I will not only quote her, I will play audio. All right. And you can draw your own conclusions. You can be the judge. Vaz Bednar. I mean, I don't know enough about the history. I guess I'm going to have to tune in to, to Jerry's show. But at first sort of glance and, and hearing about all this, it felt like we were kind of really amplifying an element that was unhelpful overall. Let me start with you on this housing issue, because you're one of the younger panelists that we have and always very thoughtful, Vas Bednar. Uh, applications for personal use eviction are up 77% in Toronto. This means, obviously, you got a tenant, you tell the tenant, I'm moving in, you got to get out. And I have to wonder, you know, how many times this is actually being done as a matter of fraud. Yeah, I know it's really tough, right? Bill, these can also happen after a house is purchased, right? So if a, if a property or a condominium is tenanted and then somebody purchases it, that's well within their right to say, hey, I'm going to actually live here, so you got to go. Um, certainly concerning that the numbers are increasing. We expect, the rule is that I think people have to, the owner has to live in that property for a period of 12 months before they rent it out again. But 
you know, trying to monitor that or sort of have a watchdog function. What we've done is sort of expect a, a largely privately owned market to provide, you know, what's starting to feel like a public good, which is housing. Um, anyway, certainly something to pay attention to. Jerry Eager. I suspect that some of it, at least, is to uh, escape this largely unfriendly environment Ontario is to a landlord. I mean, the Landlord mm -hmm. and Tenant Board is completely useless, and you get a person in who's renting and refuses to pay, it can take up to a year to get them out, and then you're out all that money. You'll never see the money. So th th that might be a part of it. Just, uh, you know, I've decided I just can't be a landlord anymore. Courtney, some people may legitimately be moving into the place they eject a tenant from, and maybe part of that phenomenon is that housing and condos have become so unaffordable, then you sell off the one that you're living in and you move into the one you rented out. Well, it's interesting, John, because I had two different calls this week from two different people, one on the landlord's side, one on the tenant's side. Hmm. And there, there definitely is this issue right now, and, and I absolutely agree with, with, with Jerry there, of individuals that may want to get back, but the vast majority of people, they're looking at the, at the rental that they're getting right now, John. So if I'm renting to someone and I can double my rent as a landlord, my mortgage has gone up, all of these things, you have a landlord and tenant board, I don't want to be crapping on them, but at the end of the day, they're very ineffective and, and, uh, and problematic and take so much time. There's a lot of frustration that's going on on both sides of the fence. I would say you can crap on them, though. Uh, Courtney, we, we told a story, I think, in three chapters recently that unfolded over a period of months where a couple bought a home and they couldn't get the tenant to leave. And it got to the point where the tenant wasn't paying rent. They were living in a trailer in the driveway and the guy boarded up the door and they kept on going to the landlord and tenant board and nothing happened. It's such a big, it's, it's, it's an area that's just incredibly, it's, 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 it really is a laugh when you, when you actually call it a tribunal because at the end of the day, you know, by the time you get to a result, uh, both parties are, have already um, reached the highest levels of frustration. Okay, so how can the National Capital Commission build, let's not call it a barn, they replaced an actual barn with a new two-story building for the parking of cars and storage behind the Governor General's estate, but it cost $8 million. I mean, that must be some pretty swell tiling, Jerry Yegar. How do you spend $140,000 on architect plans for a staircase you never built? Um, this, like, without it being either graft or total incompetence. So those are the explanations, I think, for how government spends that kind of money. It's either graft or total incompetence. What's your pick? Well, Courtney, it just seems in government that somebody hands in an estimate and you go, okay, and nobody ever says $8 million. That seems a little high. Well, as Jerry's pointed out, potentially there are supposed to be, there is a competitive bid process within the federal government. Depending on the level, you've got to get three bids and all of those things. But once you can get into a situation where you are uh, a dedicated provider, then, you know, you're going to have situations like this that happen. And, and, and at this time when we really should be setting examples based on the challenges facing so many Canadians, you know, it, it's, it's very challenging. Well, and Vass, it's a little overwhelming when you consider how many properties that the NCC manages that are in a state of terrible disrepair. 
Yeah, it is concerning. Look, and to that, you know, competitive public bid process, it's kind of a race to the bottom. So it's a very broken process because what we do is we over bureaucratize these bids, these tenders, and really we're just awarding most of the time a project to somebody that offers the lowest bid. But there are very there aren't really repercussions when the final price is triple or quadruple what that initial estimate was. So in in our efforts to sort of protect public spending and sort of be efficient with those dollars. Um, we're getting ridiculous projects like this one that diminishes trust and prevents us from actually doing the kind of architectural repairs on on these types of buildings that we need and, and prevents us from coming forward with new public architecture that we badly need. And Jerry Agar, I know you prefer to drive, but you fly from time to time. What do you make of United Airlines saying people sitting in the window seat will be allowed to board first? You know, We've been loading up planes for a century, and I don't know why we haven't found a formula that works. Well, like, the good thing about this, of course, is that you're not climbing over people, and you're not uh, slowing the process because somebody gets and they put their luggage in, they sit down in the middle seat, and then somebody comes along who has the window seat, so now they've got to get up, and they, you yeah. know, that slows and the whole process. And somebody's taking off their jacket, and somebody yeah. else is getting out their book. But by the way, they only save two minutes. Yeah, the total loading process. I'll tell you really quickly about the best loading process I ever saw. So when I went to Iraq and it was the military and it was this, get on the plane. And when they say get on the plane, the first person on the plane is obligated. They go to the very back of the plane and they fill that way. But of course, they can make the military do that to try to get people with their self-righteousness to do that kind of a process. It would just never happen. Isn't it self Well, Jerry, yeah. Jerry, I think that's the problem there. We're doing first class first, so we're doing it backwards and therein lies the problem. Yeah, but that's so we can all walk through on our way to steer and be jealous yeah. of the and, people and sitting in the fat seats. And look at them with disdain. Yes. <laughs> Thank y'all. Patch Bednar, Courtney. Have Betty, a great day, John. <laughs> and Jerry Agar. Catch the roundtable. Round one at 745. Round two at 845. Weekday mornings on More in the Morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.